And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like the Salesman Podcast hosted by Will Barron. Now, if you work in sales, you want to learn how to sell, or you want to peek at some of the latest sales news and insights, you need to listen to the Salesman Podcast The host, Will Barron, helps sales professionals learn how to find buyers and win big business in effective and ethical ways. If you think any of the following topics resonate with you, you're going to love the show. How to find and close your dream job in sales, 12 essential principles of selling, digital body language, how to have better Zoom sales meetings, or how to tell a remarkable sales story. If these are topics that would interest you, go check out the Salesman Podcast wherever you get your podcast or at hubspot.com slash podcast network. Today, my guest is Gloria Feld. She is a New York Times bestselling author, speaker, commentator, and feminist leader who has gained national recognition as a social and political advocate of women's rights. In 2013, she co-founded Take the Lead, which is a nonprofit initiative with a goal to propel women to leadership parity by 2025. She's a former CEO and president of Planned Parenthood Federation of America, directing the organization from 1996 to 2005. She has been featured in the New York Times, Washington Post, Forbes, Times, NBC, Fast Company, Vanity Fair, and many more publications. We spoke about some lessons from uh, her book, some of the things she teaches over when she speaks on women, leadership, and empowerment. Um, And I'm going to get to those in a second. But most importantly, we spoke about our present day situation. Uh, Take the Lead, the goal and the initiative of Take the Lead was to get women to leadership parity by 2025. We spoke about where we're at right now, what COVID did for women leadership, did it push it forward, set it back. And then we also spoke about what organizations can actually do to foster women leadership and to help women progress into leadership positions. And then we spoke about some things that you can do if you are in a position and you want to move up in your career, some great leadership mindset things. Now, of course, she helps women move into leadership positions. The mindset topics that she speaks about are just great for anybody who wants to level up in their career, but uh, she specifically teaches women how to leverage some of these techniques. So a few things that she teaches over that she goes into further detail in the show. Uh, Preparing yourself to lead, preparing yourself to lead and not just lead organizations, but lead change. So she uses a framework called VCA, Vision, Courage, Action. What is that? How does that impact your peers and yourself? Uh, She spoke about 
the consequences of actions. When things don't go right, how to navigate that, how to navigate the ups and downs in an organization, how to flex as needed. We spoke about improving your impact in meetings and presentations. Uh, we spoke about proactive practices that you can uh, you can deploy in your life that will allow you to build habits that help you sustain your leadership journey, and it filters out derailers or what she calls power demons as you try to progress in your career. We spoke about turning your obstacles into assets. And then lastly, we spoke about tapping into your power and your energy using ambition as fuel to achieve your intentions. And at a high level, it does sound like there's a lot of mindset things, but then she goes into detail about how to actually action it in your day to day. So let's jump right into this. We have a lot of great leadership lessons, some uh, reality, some, some tough conversations about where we are at in terms of women leadership parity in 2022. This is Gloria Felt, best-selling author, executive speaker, commentator, and feminist leader. Okay, so it's been a long and rocky road, but uh, I will I will shorten it up for you. So, Scott, I was actually born and raised in small Texas towns, which surprises people as I'm sitting right now a couple of blocks from Columbus Circle in New York and feel very happy about that. Uh, but I, I uh, you know, I was I grew up in a culture where women weren't given aspirations for careers. And they said if you went to college, it was to get your MRS. And, uh, and that your job was to be a support system for everyone else. And I totally drank that Kool-Aid. I just want to tell you, I was, I, I wanted to, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be exactly what the culture was telling me I should be. And that was why I married my high school sweetheart. I had three kids by the time I was 20, just a few days after my 20th birthday. And uh, then I woke up. I woke up. It was like a light bulb went off. My son, David, who is my youngest, calls himself mom's light bulb because he's heard the story so many times. But I don't know whether it was maybe a little maturity. Maybe it was simply, um, well, I, I will say I, I believe that the advent of the, the birth control pill helped. It helped me know that I could actually plan and space my children and, and therefore be more intentional in general about my life to kind of connect it with what I'm writing about right now. And I realized also that if I had to support the three children, I didn't have any employable skills. So I started to a community college. I was living in Odessa, Texas at the time. If anybody's a Friday Night Lights fan out there, let me just tell you, it's a true story. My kids all graduated from Permian High School. We all were Mighty Mojo, it's, it's, it's for real. And um, so there was only a community college in Odessa at the time, and it took me, therefore, 12 years to finally get my bachelor's degree. And during that time, I had an opportunity to get involved in a lot of community service work. I became involved in the civil rights movement, for example, and that taught me one of the most important lessons that has guided me ever since, which is that people working together can change anything. And I, I, I value that lesson so much, and I, it repeats itself over and over again in everything that I do. I also noticed that the women were doing all the frontline work and the men were getting all the leadership positions and all the credit. And that also 
gave me another aha, which is, whoa, if there are civil rights, women must have them too. And so it was, that was pretty much the moment where I decided that I would focus my life on women's equality in a very, in a variety of different forms. And I, um, I, I serendipitously was offered a position as the executive director of the small new Planned Parenthood affiliate in West Texas a few years after that. And I, um, I had planned on being a high school social studies teacher, which was an appropriate job for a woman at that time. But I did the an inappropriate thing. And I, 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 I didn't know how to, I had never run an organization. I, Honestly, I was totally unqualified, but I said, yes, don't ask me why. It's kind of become the mantra of my life. It's like, just say yes, because if you have these opportunities, give it a try. You never know what will happen. And I think that's good advice for a lot of people today who sometimes I think young people overthink what they want to do with their careers. And you, you need to have you need to have two things. You need to have that intentionality, but it's also good to be open to fortuity. And to be willing to say yes if something interesting comes your way. Well, anyway, as I say, the rest is history. I ended up as the national president 30 year, uh, 20 years later and, re and left that job at the 30-year mark, thinking 30 was a good round number. And I needed to go write the books I had been wanting to write for my entire life. The last book that I wrote before intentioning was a study of why women hadn't reached parity in leadership positions in any sector. We were about 18% of the top leadership positions at that time across every single sector, from politics to corporate to entrepreneurship. It didn't matter what it was. Can I can I ask you to timestamp that too, so I can understand, like, because when you say 18%, how many years ago was that? Yeah, that was 10 years ago. That's okay, 10 so not years that, ago. Not, not that, that long, long ago. ago. Not that long ago. No. no. Yeah, right. So I, I, I had to find out why, because all, all my life I'd been opening doors and changing laws and thinking, you know, we have every opportunity. We've seen a woman first almost everything. Why were we still that far from parity? And what I found in my own research was that it's not women, not that women lack ambition, which a lot of the research says. It is that we're socialized differently around power and intention from men. And we learn from the historical narrative, an idea about power that is about fighting and wars and scarce resources. And that's not really even functional in today's world because this is an economy based on brains, not brawn now. And so it's really about how can you innovate? How can you create? How can you make a bigger pie as opposed to thinking that there are, you have to fight over the crumbs? And women are pretty good at those things. And I found that once I would suggest to women, well, shift your thinking about power. Quit thinking about it as being the power over. Because I know you've had the negative aspects of, of that power. But think about it as being a generative power to. Power to. It's the power to make life better for yourself, your family, the world, whatever. Innovate, create. And I would see masks fall off of women's faces. Uh, not the real masks we're wearing now, but mask, you know, like masking their, their true feelings. And they would say, well, I want that. I want that kind of power. And so that was, that was where I started. And people started asking me to teach workshops using what I had written in this book, No Excuses, where I laid out what the problem was and what to do about it. 
I saw women have big breakthroughs in their ideas about themselves and what they could do, uh, their careers, their aspirations. And I quickly realized that, again, from what I have learned from the civil rights movement, people working together can change things. But when you try to do it by yourself, it's not usually a winning strategy. So I uh, co-founded my nonprofit organization, Take the Lead. And our mission is to prepare, that's train, develop, coach, inspire, role model programs, and propel through thought leadership, women to take their fair and equal share of leadership positions across every sector by 2025. That's 70 to 150 years faster than they say we can do it in the United States. But, uh, that's, I, I really do believe this is a moment when we can move, we can move faster, even with the pandemic, which I'm sure we'll talk about. So enter the pandemic. And at that, at the point of, as we entered 2020, we had increased women in top leadership positions from 18% to 25%. And then the pandemic came. And so here we are now. And then I wrote the book Intentioning to pick up from there. So I want to, I want to unpack a few things. That's, that's incredible. I appreciate the research you put into this as well. So when we're even moving from 18 to 25%, obviously we're not at parity. We were trying to hit 50 or above, right? That's, that's, we're trying to aim towards that. But um, when you're saying that when you first did this research, you said that women were socialized different and there was more of a scarcity mindset and a combative, that's how we move forward versus now when there's literally more resources than many people know what to do with, like in all seriousness, like the abundance mindset where everybody can literally have a piece of the pie. Everybody can have the job, the money, the life that they would like if, of course, if they're, you know, if they're, if they want to go, go after it. Um, so when you're socialized differently, does that mean that women weren't applying? Like, what's the practical implication of that? Mm -hmm. Are women not applying for the jobs? Is it, it like, what is the actual thing that stops them? Because that's yeah. the theory, and it makes mm -hmm. sense. And it, and it's not, not not just theory, sorry. That's like the actual cause. But then what does that actually manifest as in somebody's career? Yeah, well, it's it, it does manifest itself in very concrete ways. For example, if a man sees one or two things in a job description that he can do, he will apply. If a woman sees one or two things she can't do, she'll think she's not ready and she will not apply. There are other very concrete manifestations. When uh, the website ZipRecruiter crunched the numbers in, uh, you know, they looked at comparable requests for salaries between men and women, same job, same qualifications. They found that on average, women asked $11,000 plus less than men for the same job with the same qualifications. So when I saw that, I had this like, oh my goodness, now I get what this different socialization and frankly, the implicit bias that has been in our, our culture for so long, that's what it does to our heads. If you are a member of any underrepresented group, and you have been judged differently than the predominant culture, it, it causes you to step back. It causes you not to feel as entitled, not to feel as secure in your own capabilities. And it really sets you back. I mean, it just literally, physically and mentally sets you back. And so what I work to overcome in women is to understand that there's no reason to be set back by this. And in fact, 
the very characteristics that have been acculturated into us. And I want to say at the outset, I don't believe for one minute that men and women are hardwired differently. I don't believe that any of this is is inevitable. I don't believe men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Uh, but the culture has treated us a little differently. And, and the result of that is that women are acculturated more from birth to to respond to how they look. And that takes the locus of power outside of yourself uh, to think first about what other people think about them. And, and I tell you, I mean, it's a really big difference as opposed to, you know, little boys just go be noisy, go be messy, go be snotty, it's fine, you know. And, and, and it just, it, it imprints you for the rest of your life. And so the, the good news is that many of the characteristics that have been acculturated into women have become our superpowers, which is why I made this one of my leadership intentioning tools for women. Like, take this implicit bias and understand how it's become your superpower because now the business case is very clear that companies with more women in their leadership are more profitable. Well, you know, use that. That is the huge strength. Why does that happen? It happens because women have been taught, have been taught from birth to, to be empathetic, to read. So you learn to read the room. And I think that's true also of people of color. If you have not been the group in power, you have to develop the capacity to read the room, to understand what's going on with people, the emotional underpinnings, as well as what they're saying. So you have to, but you have to consciously use that as a, as a strength. So I say, put on your cape and and, and use those things as superpowers. So it's a, it's a combination. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, CrowdHealth. Now, as we all know, open enrollment is ending soon. It's time to think about the best healthcare option for you and your family. And I know a lot of people are still trying to figure out what to do. Now, when it comes to healthcare, it's important that you're getting your money's worth. CrowdHealth helps you with covering medical expenses. It's a more flexible and affordable healthcare option without the hassle of insurance. So while you're shopping around, don't forget to head to joincrowdhealth.com slash 99. Find out how CrowdHealth can save you 40 to 60% in healthcare costs every single year. And just to give you an idea of what CrowdHealth is, CrowdHealth isn't health insurance. It's a modern way to pay for medical expenses. CrowdHealth is a community of people who are tired of paying into a broken system. Being in the CrowdHealth community can save you hundreds of dollars in monthly expenses and put thousands of dollars back in your pocket. Now you're probably asking, why would I choose CrowdHealth over traditional insurance? Three main reasons, flexible, simple, membership-based. Membership is a monthly subscription, start or stop whenever you want. There's simple and transparent pricing that fits exactly what you need. To use it, all you have to do is scan bills and throw them away. CrowdHealth takes care of the rest. Now CrowdHealth is able to offer incredible pricing because of its community of health conscious members and they put together a special offer just for success story podcast listeners so get your first six months at just 99 dollars per month that's a savings of almost 50 percent off their standard pricing and a lot less than one of those crappy high deductible plans just go to join crowdhealth.com 99 and enter code success story at sign up that's join crowdhealth.com slash 99 and promo code is success story enter that when you sign up remember crowd health is not health insurance it's a community 
powered alternative. Terms and conditions do apply. You have a few things, right? Because yeah. like you, like like under underrepresented groups do have all of these incredible leadership skills. It's just about unlocking it and enabling and like pushing them, pushing them or enabling them, whatever it may mm -hmm. be, so that they can actually use them in in an environment where that's going to like quite honestly impact positively and net positive for that bottom line of that business. And I want I want to unpack what has happened with leadership during COVID. And where and and because I've seen a lot of things um, that have sort of spoken to women leadership during COVID, um, I've seen it at a, a government level. But I want to—I I don't know all the use cases. I'm sure you have some examples of at an organizational level or a, a business level how women leadership mm -hmm. did quite well during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because the, it is true that we've seen that countries led by women have fared much better with the pandemic than than other countries. Now, of course, it's a fairly small sample still, but True, yeah. but nevertheless, it is a sample and, and we can see that. And again, I think that has to do with the conditioning, social conditioning to be to, to, to be empathetic, empathetic yeah. and, and to because like it was Jacinda Ardern. That's yes, the one I, yes, I always kept yes. like the prime yeah. minister of New Zealand. That was like the yeah. she was just killing it like in such a good way at the beginning of the pandemic. And, and that was like the model globally. Yes. I think there was other examples, but that was yes. the one that I remember. Yes. And, and, and one of the quotes that I use of hers in my book is that she says something like they, that people say that being empathetic is look, makes you look weak, but I say, it's just the opposite. I say it's actually a strength. And that's a really good example of what I'm talking about when, when I say that we can take these ways that we've been acculturated and we can use them as superpowers. And there are things that men can learn from as well. And, and male leaders who are doing a better job tend to take on some of those characteristics as well. So it's, it's not that only women can do it. It's that, uh, it's that that's just, you know, that's how we have been acculturated. So they do say that the data says that women have been set back 10 to maybe 30 years from the pandemic in terms of their career trajectories. But, and I, I, I don't want to understate at all the pain, the suffering, the, I mean, people have endured so much during the pandemic. I, I don't understate that at all. But from a leadership perspective, and from an organizational perspective, a business perspective, and a government perspective too, it's in those times of great disruption that you also have the opportunity for rebirth, that you have the opportunity to rethink. Because when things are disrupted, when your society is disrupted, it forces, it literally forces boundaries to become permeable. And structures that have been there forever have to loosen up, open up. There's not a company now that doesn't know that you could, people can work from home very productively. They know that you can actually find ways to take care of your family responsibilities and caregiving and do your work. So I foresee that again, people working together can make this happen if we really work together, we can usher in an era where our organizations and the leaders of organizations are much more flexible, uh, which is what women have been asking for for quite some time, to enable both men and women to attend to their family responsibilities and, and, and do their work. 
So you'll see more family leave, you'll see more uh, childcare opportunities. Uh, we're, we're talking, I mean, in Congress right now, believe me, I never thought I would hear these two words together infrastructure and childcare. <laughs> you know, they're now talking about caregiving in general and childcare in particular as being a part of a necessary social infrastructure. I, I think that's just amazing. And if we really value children, that's exactly what we will make happen. Yeah, but my question, so I'm curious as to why the pandemic set, set women oh. back 10 to 30 years, because I actually thought when I was going, I just mentioned that's a very positive Yes. result like it was like like showing like a prime example of how women in a leadership position like just did absolutely incredible things but you're saying that at a at a global level uh women are set back 10 to 30 years so what happened why is that the, the i thought reason... that that would have oh go ahead sorry no no yeah, go ahead. no, no. It's, it's, it's a it's an absolutely right follow-on question but it also points up exactly what i'm saying which is that disruptions are both opportunities and you know, they're, 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 they're opportunity, but it's also can, it can also set you back. It depends on what we decide to do with it. The reason that, that uh, women have been set back is, is kind of there are multiple things. Number one, women were in more of the low paying, and particularly women of color, were in more of the low paying direct customer facing jobs. Of, so that means they were in retail, that means they were in um, caregiving, that means childcare, in a lot of different jobs that closed down. I mean, they just weren't there anymore. So that was part of it. The other part of it was that they the responsibilities for caregiving are still falling more on women's shoulders than on men's shoulders and women are assuming more of that responsibility and uh, you could argue that women need to just say no but you know i mean you're not going to not let your children have their schooling and women are homeschooling and men are doing some of it and i will say i do think the pandemic has taught a lot of men who have children uh that it's not that easy to be home with kids all day <laughs> I think men have definitely seen that, and uh, and there I was just I just did another podcast where the the host said that his brother was uh, the single parent of two boys, and that he was like going crazy. It's not easy. With this. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> like no, this is not easy. And also caregiving for elderly parents, for example, and people didn't want their their elders to have to go into group homes or nursing homes because the the, the incidence of COVID was so high. So. You know, like we were doing things at home. Look, I bought a mop. You know, I was doing my own housekeeping for the first time in a long time. So we, we, we this, these are the kinds of things that set women back. The third reason I think is that, and I think this is probably true somewhat for men. I'd love to know your opinion about this as well as women. But I think that this disruption has caused many people to rethink, what am I doing with my life? Is this what I want oh. to be doing? Is this, 100%. you know, is this what I want my life to be about? And so women who have the option, and this obviously is a first world privileged woman option. Some of them are just saying, I am taking, I'm taking myself out of the workforce for a while because I need to rethink my whole life. I think that I have no, I have no data points or t statistics this is purely, purely just my opinion, but I, I, 
know that people are quitting in droves. And I think men, women, everybody is just realizing why would I, why would I commit to a company that I've put 30 years into that can furlough me or lay me off instantly. And now that permanent full-time job that, you know, my parents had and my grandparents had before, that's no longer the way you have to structure your career. Now you have to upskill. Now you have to be very flexible. Now you have to have multiple sources of income. People start the side hustles. People, you know, they work one job, two jobs, or they just make, they jump ship every two years so they can get a, a better job, a better title, more money at mm -hmm. another place. But I think people are focusing on themselves more than ever. And I they're agree. not putting as much faith in that business or that company that hired you. Mm -hmm. I think that's men and women. Yeah. And I think that some are even saying, well, maybe I don't need to make that much money. I need to make enough money that's true to have too. a decent life, but I don't need the stress. And uh, yeah. that's, I mean, it's, it's, we all have to make judgments like that throughout our lives. And I, I, I you know, I, people, you know, this whole narrative that people have been laying on women for years about you can't have it all. So you, nobody has it all. Everybody has to make a series of choices every single day about what you're going to do with that 24 hours that you have or the 18 waking hours or however many hours you're awake. And I, I, I think we're just paying more attention to that now and understanding yeah. that it is a series of choices, but we have to make our own choices about how we're going to spend these precious days that we have. So let's say, let's, let's speak about intentioning. Let's speak about moving the needle forward because pandemic maybe, brought us back a couple of years. So that's okay. So we have to, that, that is what it is. It's not good, but it is what it is. So how do we go back in the right direction? So what is intentioning? I want to even explain what that means from somebody who is just trying to push themselves in their career, in their life, uh, getting a raise, getting a, you know, uh, anything that's moving in the right direction. And then I'm assuming that intentioning also has a whole bunch of like very practical, like actionable things that you can think about in your career to move you in the right direction. I want to uncover those as well. So let's let's break it down. What is intentioning? Because you're writing this as the pandemic hit, so it's yes. probably even more valuable now. For yes. People. Well, I had started writing it before the pandemic. A couple of years, I'd started interviewing women before the pandemic, and in all of my books, I always include very actionable skills, tools, techniques that that people can use to to do whatever they want to do in their life, in their leadership, in their business, whatever it might be. And because I'm a, you know, practical, practical person. And I, I like for, actually, somebody has asked me, what is it that, that keeps driving you? And in truth, it's when that, when I, somebody says to me, I read this in your book, or I heard you talk about this in one of your speeches, and I did it. And now I got a better job and now I got more pay. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, yes, that is what keeps me going. It's that. It's that. So I, I, I like the practical part. I had started interviewing women intending to do exactly what I did, which was to build nine leadership intentioning tools around the stories of women who exemplify that particular skill or tool. And that's the then case the study. Pandemic. That's the use case, right? The, yes, exactly. And then oh, the pandemic came. And then I had to change a lot about the book because I realized it actually became a better and richer book, I think, because I needed to, first of all, put the pandemic in perspective and exactly what we've been talking about, that disruption is, 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 um, you know, it's, it, it's an ending, but it's also a beginning. It's also a rebirth, an opportunity for rebirth, for rethinking, for retooling. And so that was one part of it. And then of course there was also 
the recognition of deeply seated racial injustices that have been part of this country since it began, but with the murder of George Floyd, more people were recognizing this and becoming activists as a result of it. So I felt that I needed to put those things into the perspective. Those are things that leaders have to understand deeply and utilize in their leadership. And that uh, I wanted to make the point also that racism, sexism, homophobia, all of these things are joined at the head. And they basically come from fear. They come from a belief in scarcity. They come from a, a concern that if, if, you know, if, if there's a pie and I take a piece, there's less for you. When in truth, we can all make more pies. And, and, and we will not solve any of these disparities unless we join together and move forward together. So I wanted to make that point. And then I leap into the nine leadership intentioning tools with that as a backdrop so that there's more context for it and a context for understanding the value of diversity as something that can make us stronger and richer and smarter uh, as opposed to dividing us. So I hope I've delivered that message successfully and woven those ideas into all of these leadership tools. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, NetSuite. Now picture this. This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility into what's actually happening because you're relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. If you are a business owner, you need visibility into what's happening in your business. NetSuite gives you that visibility. It gives you visibility over your financials, your inventory, HR, planning, budgeting, and more. NetSuite is everything you need to have visibility, to have control, and most importantly, to grow all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your process and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased both their visibility into what was going on as well as their control after they switched and upgraded to NetSuite. Remember, NetSuite is rated the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. And over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through to the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash scottclary. So if you want to take advantage, head to netsuite.com slash scottclary for a special end-of-the-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. That is netsuite.com slash Scott Clary. And why, and why that particular word for the title? What does intentioning I, mean to somebody? Because that's a, I've never heard that word before. I, that's because I, I made so. it up. I made it up. I okay. just made it up. <laughs> I was wondering. I'm like, I don't think I've ever used that in a sentence before. But I, but I want it to be in the dictionary. I want it to be the word of the year next year. So No, it, like, it's good. I, I, so it's, it's like it's... It's like the act of doing something with intention. Exactly. And that's exactly, right? I, I, I had, I was trying to find the right word and I looked in the dictionary, I looked in the thesaurus, I Googled for it and I couldn't find exactly the right word. So I made it up.
I just made it up because that's I like what you it. say. What you say is exactly what I what I wanted to do, which was to take a noun, which is a very perfectly good noun, and intention is something we talk about a lot these days. But I wanted to exemplify the fact that I intention is great, but unless you're doing it, it doesn't matter. And it's all about what you're actually doing. And I also differentiate between ambition and intention in that regard, because to me, ambition is I hope, I wish, I want. I've got a dream about it. Intention and intentioning is I, I will, I am, I'm doing it. I see myself having already done it. I know it will happen. So it's a, it's a qualitative kind of difference. And I feel that that is a linchpin. That is an absolute linchpin for helping women get to parity in leadership because they have to it's have the that belief for themselves and, and the courage to act yeah. on it. I love that. Okay, so let's break down. Um, you said there's a few like very t like tactical takeaways in the book. So um, there's there's nine tools, but we don't have to go through nine. Obviously, that's why you <laughs> go get the book. But pick pick a couple. Pick like one or two okay. things that if somebody is you know they're sitting in a career right now and they they want to move their career, they want to get a promotion, they want to do something more or do something and move up. I don't know what that move up looks like. And maybe you can describe what they should be looking for. Should it be another company? Should it be a tip to negotiate? Should it be finding a mentor or a sponsor within your own company? What's the actionable thing that somebody could do? Mm. I'm going to start with the first one because I believe okay. it is the bedrock and it is uncover yourself. And by that, I mean, know who you are. Get in touch with what your values are. I believe that the greatest leaders and the most effective leaders are very clear about who they are and what they believe, what values they will stand on. And they know themselves and they show themselves to others. But you have to know yourself first before you can show yourself to others authentically. So that is the first, that is the first tool. And, and you know, both men and women say they cover themselves in the workplace because they're trying to fit in. Women more than men, and both men and women of color more than white women, because the culture was built by white men for white men who had women and people of color at home at the time, 250 years ago, doing the kind of taking care of their lives. And so the world has changed. The world has changed. The families are different. They're usually, if they're uh, two partners, they're usually two breadwinners. And if there's one person, you know, that, that breadwinner has to cover everything. So it's very different. It's very different and not functional anymore. And, uh, and, and, and so there's, there is this need to uncover ourselves in a, and particularly in a society that is increasingly diverse. And we need to use that diversity as a strength, not as a divider, which is that we could do a whole program on, but I'll move on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will move on. One I'm going to take one more here, and then you can ask me some other questions about them, but one that is counterintuitive. So I have three, three of these tools are what I call your self-definitional tools. In other words, the, how you are introspective. Three of them are counterintuitive. Very often they're things your mother told you not to do, but you should if you want to be a great leader. And the third, the third uh, bucket of these tools is the change leadership tools. So big systems change, how to make big systems change. So a counterintuitive tool that is, I think, super important for women is modulate confidence. There is a whole industry out there 
making tons of money trying to show women how to become confident. Confidence, however, is not something you can just learn. You get confident by doing things, by practicing, by actually rolling up your sleeves and doing the thing that scares you. And that's how you get confidence. You don't, you, you can't inject confidence into your veins. Uh, you, 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 it really takes doing. And frankly, the reason I say modulate confidence is that if you're totally confident, why do you have any reason to learn something new? If you're totally confident, what's the burr under your saddle that, mm-hmm. that, that helps you to want to learn new things, to try new things, to do better, to, to ascend to a higher level of a position? So you, we need to learn to do things long before we're confident. You need to learn to do things, maybe as John F. Kennedy said, we, we go to the moon, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. You know, we do those things because they're hard, because that's where the growth is. That's where the growth is. That's what really teaches us um, how to be bigger and smarter and greater and, and build bigger businesses or run for Congress or whatever it is that we might want to do. So those are those are a couple of them. And and when say you want say these are things that, well, that, yes, they're things that everybody should really try and internalize. But. If you are, if you want to champion some of these things, do you think that you should try and champion them in the organization you're already in? Or is this something that maybe the organization values has to align with your own personal values to really get the best effect? Because they're going to, you're going to come up against some people that are not with it, not in line, like super bigoted, like old school, like, and that's, that's a blocker too. It can't just be one-sided because it's never going to happen if your immediate boss is just an absolute asshole right it's not <laughs> going to happen so what what do you suggest people look for very another sort of like a practical thing if somebody's trying to find an organization that will help enable these things what do you look for is there is there a process for like interviewing the interviewer is it is it finding the organization that i don't know has some sort of uh some sort of person or or, or cultural or something in place that can you look to and like this is an organization that's going to help support my growth because I know there's a lot of organizations that may not or there's a lot of people within organizations that may not and I want to keep people away from those and give them the best possible chance of succeeding in their careers right it's so how do you find that right well the, the first step again is to is to know yourself and decide what what is that important to you because you're probably not going to ever get everything you want in, yeah. yeah, if you're working in a in an organization, you're you'll you'll make some compromises along the way, most likely. Actually, in any situation, if it's your own business, it doesn't matter what it is, you'll probably make some compromises along the way. But you need to know what is it you care so much about that you will walk away rather than violate that. I mm. I have one of the power tools in my previous book, No Excuses, is called Wear the Shirt. And what that means is, what do you believe so strongly you'd put it on your shirt and let other people see it? That 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 that, that you hold that belief that. so so you know so strongly. I I have I have this is a shirt somebody gave me actually. I saw I saw it. yeah no it's it? yeah right yeah and and I'm wearing that shirt today. That's my shirt for the day. But so so you have to first of all figure that out. And I, your question is a good one for people to ask at different stages of their careers. Because when you're just starting out, you have more of the luxury 
to research organizations and zero in on, okay, this is where I feel like it's a fit for me. I know I, there's a young woman who was in one of my courses a few years ago, and I just noticed on LinkedIn that she had taken a new job. And when I read her logic for taking this new job, it was all about, you know, I've had some great jobs before and I've learned a lot, but I wanted to go with this particular company because they put together my core value of belief in the power of education with making it more democratized for, you know, available to people. So, you know, this is like consciously, she was intentioning that she would be able to work in a culture and a set of values, like a company that had the same value set that she had. That's, you can research that. I mean, things are much more transparent now. And I, I think they're probably, that's I, I, not true of every company. I mean, that's true. But increasingly, companies are having to be more transparent about what their values are and what their mission is. I mean, it, their mission may be to make money, but how do they do it? And how are they serving mm -hmm. the world when they make money? They, they, they're, they're telling you that on their websites. Those are questions you can ask in interviews. You can, you, you're, it's perfectly legitimate to ask those questions. And I'll tell you, as somebody who has hired a lot of people over the years, I appreciate it when people have done their research and they know what matters to them and they ask me those questions. No, but what yeah, I, I was so, going to say is I just want people to feel comfortable like asking these questions because that's how you really set yourself up for success, right? You want to you want to make sure that you know what you're stepping into. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think you know, I as you grow in your career, you have more even more opportunity to be very straightforward and discerning. It may take you longer to get a job, that's for sure, but it's worth taking that time and making sure that you feel it's a culture that you will thrive in and that you can contribute to. I just wanna take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now the new year might have you thinking ahead to what you want out of your career. So when you think about your success story, what do you actually picture? Is it retiring early with a beautiful view of the skyline? Is it leaving a legacy with your name on it? Or maybe it's helping influence and change some of the world's most pressing issues. Whatever it is, writing your success story starts by working smart. Because when you work smart, your success story writes itself. A HubSpot CRM platform helps your marketing campaigns work harder and smarter. With intuitive visual workflows and bot builders, you can create scalable automated campaigns across email, social media, web, and chat so your customers hear your messages loud and clear. Are you tired of your content not adapting to mobile, making it difficult for your customers to absorb your message? A HubSpot CRM platform optimizes your content for multiple devices so that you can reach your customers wherever they are which is just smart. Learn more about how you can transform your customer experience with a HubSpot CRM at HubSpot.com. That's smart. Um, I want to ask one more point and then I'll do it. We'll sort of wrap up because this has been really good. You've, you've gone through a lot of stuff in the book too. I appreciate it. Um, there's one thing that I thought was really interesting um, and I just want to get your take on it. Uh, one of the change leadership tools you mentioned was be unreasonable. What does that mean? So I quote George Bernard Shaw. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. And it is the reasonable man adapts to the world. The unreasonable man expects the world to adapt to him. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. 
and I give him credit that he was a little bit of a feminist in his day, and, and that if he were speaking today, he would include women in that. So I'm, I'm sure he would do that. It, it, what it means is that if you, again, it's sort of like the confidence issue. If you're self-satisfied, you don't, you aren't going to make any progress for the world. If you see a problem that needs to be solved and it sticks in your mind and you want to solve that problem, it may be unreasonable to some people, but you'll make it happen if you are unreasonable enough about it. And I mean, when people say to me, isn't saying you're going to get to gender parity by 2025 unreasonable? I say, yes, it's unreasonable. But if you don't put a stake in the ground, you won't get anywhere. And maybe we won't hit the full 50% mark by 2025, but I guarantee you we'll get a lot further than if we hadn't put a stake in the ground. Be unreasonable. Um, I'm going to do some rapid fire just to pull some last insights from your career before we do that. Um, if somebody reads this book, what do you want them to take away from it? What's the main lesson, the most important thing they'll take away from it? I want them to take away the power of their own intentioning and to understand they have that power and to learn the, the I call the VCA method of intentioning, vision, courage, and action. Those are the three parts. Good. And then if people do want to get the book or connect with you, where should they go? Website, social, anything like that? You, you can get the book any place that you like to buy your books, but I hope you will go to my website, gloriafelt.com, F-E-L-D-T dot com uh, and go to the forward slash intentioning page. And there you will find a downloadable workbook that you can get that will go along with the book and will help you actually utilize all of these tools in the book more effic efficiently. So it's Gloria, and it's Gloria Felt, it's, Felt with it's a D-T. Okay. Gloria Felt, D-L-O-R-I-A, like the song, F-E-L-D-T dot com forward slash intentioning and or just go to gloriafelt.com and you'll find all of it and also um I take the lead take the lead women.com you can find out the training coaching role model programs and thought leadership that we can provide to you as an individual or to your company i am at gloria felt on all social media so i'm easy to find and love to interact. I'm on social media way too much. So feel free, contact me there. Connect, I love it. <laughs> hey, good, good. All right, let's do a couple of rapid fire. Um, the biggest challenge that you've had in your personal or professional life, what was mm -hmm. that and how'd you overcome it? The biggest challenge I've had in my professional life is that when I left a 30 year career, I didn't know who I was. I realized at that point that I had given everything, including my identity, to a cause and to an organization that I believed in, but I hadn't, I hadn't nurtured myself, and I had to literally rethink myself. That was a huge career challenge. I had, I had been doing what everybody else needed me to do, hadn't taken care of Gloria. Um, if you had to choose one person, who, obviously there's been many people who have been influential or impactful in your life. Who was that person and what did they teach you? I give the credit to my father who was way ahead of his time. He told me from the minute I could hear him, you can do anything your pretty little head desires. <laughs> and he made sure to use the female pronoun when he would tell me 
things like she who asks gets or, you know, these little bits of advice your daddy gives you as you're a kid. He would, I didn't realize until I was grown how important that was. I could always see myself in that picture. That's good. Um, if you could recommend a book or podcast or Audible or something that you've read, um, what would it be? Oh, there are so many. And I do listen to a lot of books. So I'm, I'm, I definitely have a lot from Audible. I, one of the most powerful books I have read lately is called or listened to because the author's voice is so beautiful and he recorded it himself. So it's doubly wonderful. It's called My Grandmother's Hands. And it's very, it's very instructive about how racial and other kinds of trauma affect us, not just intellectually, but also in our bodies and how to, how to identify that and how to heal from it. It's a, it's a very powerful book in my grandmother's hands. Um, if you could tell your 20 year old self one thing, what would it be? <laughs> be more intentional. <laughs> I would, I would have learned to be intentioning much earlier in life. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> that's yeah. good. Um, okay. Uh, and last question, what does success mean to you? To me, success is, is enabling people to, to be successful. That's, that's success to me. I, uh, yes, I, I just, I would just boil down to that. I, I, if, if what I do helps somebody else to be successful in their own life, then I have been a success. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. 
I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours? That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 